If you'll please turn with me to James. We're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 8 to 13 today. So we're continuing on in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus, his half-brother. He was also a pastor in Jerusalem. And he's writing to mainly Jewish Christians that have kind of fled Jerusalem as persecution arose. And if you've been hanging with us so far, and as we continue on, you'll see that James' focus isn't necessarily on expounding doctrine, but to talk about how our faith has to play out in a life belonging to Jesus. He says we can't be divided between God and the world. And if we're devoted to God, if we belong to Him, and if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior for life and salvation, there will be this complete change in the way that we live. And James has experienced this himself. While Jesus was alive, his brother didn't actually believe in him. He thought he was kind of crazy. But he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God after the resurrection. And when James came to see who Jesus really is, it changed everything for him. And so as we continue on, we'll see the themes that were laid out in chapter 1 will continue to pop up as we go throughout the book kind of looking at them from different angles or expanding or elaborating on them. And James has already told us, we talked about it three weeks ago, that we must be hearers of the word. We have to hear it, but we can't stop there. We have to be doers of the word as well. We have to obey. Not that we obey it to earn our salvation, but because God has already saved us. God tells us how to live as his people. And this morning, we're going to continue on from last week, where we saw that we're to show no partiality because God shows no partiality, as this theme is going to kind of carry through our passage today. So hear God's word from James. I'm going to actually read starting in verse 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, we ask that you would help us this morning as we look at your word and as we hear about your law. God, enliven it to our hearts and minds that we may know and love you more deeply, that we would see our sin and we would confront it and turn from it to you in faith. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever watched through the TV show Friends, you might have noticed something that pops up a few times. Joey Tribbiani's resume. Right? It's like almost all made up. So in the show, he's an actor, and there's an episode where he gets an audition in a Broadway musical, partially because he's put in his resume that he did three years of modern dance and five years with the American Ballet Theater. If you know Joey at all, you know that this is not true. When his friends ask why he would put it there, he says, well, everyone lies on their resume. Needless to say, he does not get that part. But he also doesn't learn his lesson. (laughs) Seven seasons later in the show, he gets an audition for a play where he has to speak French because, as you guessed it, he lied on his resume and said he could speak French, (laughs) along with other things he can't do like tap dance or archery, horseback riding, or drinking a gallon of milk in 10 seconds. But in that second one, even as Ross is telling Joey, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have lied on your resume, Monica calls out Ross for doing the same thing. In the show, it's kind of funny because it sets the episode up for funny things that happen, like Joey teaching a dance class when he doesn't know how to dance. But I think we can be like Joey and Ross sometimes, where we think these small sins, if I say small sins, quotes, okay? I'm not going to do it every time, but you can see it. These small sins aren't a big deal, especially if everyone's doing them. But James is going to show us this morning that, one, to break any of God's commands, even showing partiality or favoritism, is to break them all. And two, we're going to see the reason for that is that God's commands are unified by his perfect, unchanging character. And then finally, we're going to see how we're to live in light of the fact that we have broken them. So first, to break any of God's commands is to break them all. Look with me at verse 8. It says, if you really are actually fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. James brings up the royal law. It's the law of the kingdom. It's the law of the king. As we saw, God chooses the poor in the world to be heirs of the kingdom of God last week. It's how God calls us to live within his kingdom. So what is the royal law? It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you might know Jesus actually gave this command twice. He says it's the second greatest command behind, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And he said that all the law and the prophets, which is how they would kind of talk about the Old Testament, all of it hangs on these two commandments. Basically, the whole law can be summed up in the Ten Commandments, and then the Ten Commandments can be summed up in these two commandments. 
But James isn't quoting Jesus here. It says, according to the scripture, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's quoting Leviticus 19, as Jesus actually is too, that has this whole section about what it looks like to fail to love our neighbors, ranging from stealing to lying to hating to holding a grudge. But it hits even closer to what James is talking about in verse 15. It says, You shall do no injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And then he concludes that section by summarizing it. He'll command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And James says, if you're actually doing it, you're doing well. If you're really or actually doing it. But then he follows up, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He carries on from what Luke preached Last week that I read that partiality, the sin that's so common for us to show favoritism or give preference to people who can benefit us. Sin that's so common that we're all tempted toward and often fall into, maybe even without recognizing it, that it breaks the royal law. He says, you might think you're loving your neighbor as yourself, but you might not actually be doing it. Even if you think you are, if you're doing something that you might view as trivial, like ignoring the poor person in the room, then you're transgressing the law. You're going beyond the bounds of kingdom living, that you're guilty of sin. Then he summarizes why. For Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. He says, keeping the law is an all or nothing thing. If we don't keep all of it, we haven't actually kept any of it. And I think sometimes we look at God's law and we think of it almost like a game of Jenga. Right? Where they're stacked up and you pull them out and where we think... We can pull these different pieces out and the law will still stand. They're the ones that we know that we can't, right? We can't murder. That's obvious. But we can pull out showing partiality. We can pull out maybe gossiping or anger or pride. We can pull out selfishness. It's, we all do these things. It'll still stand. That we can still obey God despite neglecting those things. Everyone does them. But maybe you've seen where we start to pull out these little things and they lead to the greater things. And there's a whole collapse before we even recognize it. That what starts as lust ends in pornography, then adultery, before we even recognize what's happening. It starts because we don't think those smaller or more common big deal. But the truth is that the root behind them actually is the same. As Jesus says, the law says, do not murder, but I'd say, do not be angry with your brother. This is the same root. But that's no different. 
But James says the law isn't like a game of Jenga. You can't pick and choose or pull out little pieces that you don't want. Instead, one commentator describes it more like it's a single pane of glass. And any sin is a brick thrown through the whole thing that shatters all of it. And the reality is that we all have these things in our lives. That's why we have a confession of sin every single week. These sins that we're unfortunately often okay with or don't think that they're a big deal or they might be even so much a part of our daily lives that we don't even recognize them. We don't even pay attention to them. We're okay thinking we're pretty holy even though we do this. It's okay. Done well here. Like coming up on probably 15 years ago now, um, Jerry Bridges, who worked with Navigators for a long time, wrote a book called Respectable Sins, which is kind of talks about this, these behaviors that we often accept as normal rather than as violations of God's law, but they're respectable. They're not as bad. They're fine. If you've ever been in an accountability group where you're confessing sins, I've done this. It's safe to say I was prideful. Because everyone is. It's safe to say I was selfish with my time. Because we all are. Without actually caring to say, this breaks God's law. It makes me guilty. And actually moving forward and taking it seriously. I'm not saying all sins are equal. They aren't. The, you see that by the fact that punishments in the Old Testament uh, vary. Because God is perfectly just. So the punishment always fits the crime. You see that if you read through the Old Testament. And our catechism says that some sins are more heinous in the sight of God than others. And we know this from experience, right? That some sins cause more damage in this life. That the effects reach out deeper. We know that. We've felt them. Yet there is a sense in which every sin is the same. The next question in our catechism answers every sin deserves God's wrath and curse both in this life and that which is to come. So I think the first step for us then is to actually recognize and acknowledge these sins in our lives because we so often just ignore them, pretend like they're not there. And we should start with closest to what James talks about, about showing partiality. It's mentioned again in our passage today. Where do you show partiality or favoritism? If you were here last week, hopefully you've taken time to actually think about this. But if not, do it this week. Think through, where do I actually give preference to those who might benefit me while ignoring those who wouldn't? We can't just be hearers of the word. We can't hear what's preached and walk away and not do anything about it. James says we're deceiving ourselves if we're doing that. So actually take time. 
to think through these things in your life? Where might you actually be doing this? Then we can move to consider more broadly. As James says, if we fail at any point, we're guilty of it all. There are some that are so common, right? Anxiety about the future, lying, saying we're going to do it. You could go on and on with the list of sins, right? And we're so used to these that we're like, it's not a big deal. So much so that we don't even realize we do them a lot of times. We can lie on a resume, and you can ask us if we lie, and we say, no, we forget we even did it. <laughs> if you're sitting here and thinking, I'm good, I don't do any of these things, then I'd encourage you to take some time this afternoon and read through Matthew 5-7, to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out the ideals of his kingdom. And compare yourself to those lofty ideals we preached through it a couple years ago, and every week it seemed like it's just hitting you down because we failed to live up to it. Praise God for his mercy and grace to us. But if we can read through that and saying, I'm keeping all of those, then we're actually deceiving ourselves. And John would say, the truth is not in us. If we sit during the confession of sin, the quiet portion, and say, I don't have anything to confess a problem. So the first step is actually recognizing these sins, these things that are going against what God commands. The next step is to actually take them seriously. When they're so common and we don't see these obvious effects from them, they're easy to ignore or write off. So we have to ask, why, why are they such a big deal? It doesn't seem like anything's happening. James tells us every sin matters because to break any of God's commands is to break them all. Well, why is that? James tells us by turning from the law to the lawgiver. That this is the case because they reflect God's perfect and unchanging character. Look with me at verse 11. It says, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder if you do commit adultery, but do if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Look at what James does there. He doesn't, he doesn't get into a logical explanation of how all the laws are different perspectives on the same thing, which he could have and is true. But he shifts this emphasis to the one who gives the commands. He says, he who said also said. Because of the one who said it, the one who James has already told us in chapter 1, gives generously to all without reproach. The one who's promised a crown of life to all who love him. The one who does not tempt us. The one who gives us only in every good and perfect gift. The one who does not change. The one who is our Father. As we heard last week, the one who has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. He's generously given us his good and perfect law, not to enslave us, not to make us earn his love or our salvation, but because he loves us 
and because he has saved us to show us how to live in freedom as his people. To show us how to live like him in whose image we are created. When God gave the Ten Commandments, when we see it in Deuteronomy, it says that God did not show his form, but he revealed himself in his commands. That in God's commands, we see his character. We see who he is. And we see whom we are to be like. God giving the law is not the hypocrisy that we often see with our own lawmakers or executive order givers these days. Right? Where we look over the last year and we see travel restrictions, capacity restrictions, business closures, mask mandates that they're put in place. I'm not condemning or criticizing or commenting even on the value of those. But when those are put in place, but then they're ignored by the very people who put them there. That's what we see and that's what we often think of the law. But God's law could not be farther from that. That it actually reflects him that it's completely consistent with his character. That God's commands are not arbitrary. They're not given to manipulate or control or keep us down. They're the opposite. They're for our good as they flow from God's character and his will for us. He commands us not to commit adultery because he is perfectly faithful. He commands us not to murder because he is the one who gives and values life. As we saw last week, he commands us not to show partiality because he does not show partiality. And because of this, when we disobey what he commands, we're not merely disobeying a command, we're also rejecting him. Even if we obey one and disobey another, we're rejecting him, we're saying, I don't like or care about this part of you, God. But we can't remove aspects of who God is and say that it's still God. That's us making God in our own image. When we do this, we're actually breaking the greatest commandment. Instead of loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we're saying, I don't care for this part of you. It's wrong. Dan Doriani puts it this way. He says, if people pick and choose what they obey... They are still very much their own God. If we pick and choose what commands to obey, we're not submitting to him. We're rejecting him and putting ourselves there. Even if we can take 90, 80, 90% of it and it lines up perfectly, we see the differences in that other part where we say, it looks similar to God, but it's not him. It's what we want. And it says that God is not truly good. 
That he does not truly love us and want what's truly best for us. And then when the world looks at us, what do they see? They don't see God's character reflected. They see us. We need to take sin seriously. Even the ones we've grown comfortable with. Because to go against God's character and who he has made us to be is ultimately a rejection of him. It exposes what we truly believe. And to reject God as neither wise nor safe. So we've seen that to break any of God's commands is to break them all. Because they reflect God's perfect, unchanging character. And to reject them is ultimately to reject Him. But we're all guilty then, right? We continue to break them. So where does that leave us? What do we do now? Do we just give up? What's the point? If we can't do it all, why try? After describing how we're all guilty, James actually finishes this section by talking about judgment and mercy. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. He says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He doesn't say give up and do what you please because you can't keep the law anyway. Instead, he encourages us all the more to obey. Speak and act everything that we do. Word and deed. He says as if we're about to be judged under the law of liberty. Under the law that As we said a few weeks ago when it talked about the law of liberty, the law that gives freedom, that actually establishes the boundaries for us to live truly human lives, that enables us to live as we were created to live, as if we're to be judged by that law. Even though we all know our guilt, he still says, obey. He reminds us that we will all stand before Christ when he returns. And then he says we should obey all the more because judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And we read this and we say, where is the gospel? Where is grace? Just obey the law? I can't. But James follows close at hand with this interjection. The end of this verse here doesn't follow the flow of what he's been saying. It's as if James can't leave it hanging with judgment is without mercy. And he just blurts out, mercy triumphs over judgment. And he doesn't explain it. (laughs) As I said earlier, James isn't all about just explaining doctrine to us. That's why we often like Paul a little more. 
He doesn't explain it, but he's talking to Christians, his beloved brothers and sisters, and we know how it plays out for us in the gospel. We know that we deserve judgment because we've disobeyed God. We've broken his law. But as we've heard in the songs that we've sang, our assurance of pardon, we know that God didn't leave us in our sin and guilt, but he sent his son, he sent Jesus to take the punishment we deserve in order to save us and in order to change us, that we would not stay the same. So our assurance of pardon said it was according to God's great mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we don't earn that. We don't obey enough to deserve it. If you earn mercy, it's not mercy. It's a wage. God showed us mercy. That he saved us in Christ. That we receive it by faith. We confess our sins and we repent. We turn from them to obedience. So as we first recognize our sin, then take it seriously, then we repent and we turn from it to obedience, to what James is calling us to. We endeavor to obey. When we recognize the mercy that has been shown to us, it transforms us. And not only does God in his mercy saves us, but he gives us his spirit to change us, to renew his image in us, to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, to make us more obedient, to live in the freedom of the law more and more. We don't show enough mercy so we'll earn it. God has been merciful to us. And as we understand that God's mercy triumphs over judgment, we can work backward then through 12 and 13 as James focuses on how our faith plays out and how we're to live in light of it. We can work backwards through 12 and 13 that we can show mercy because we've received mercy. That we can seek all the more to obey because we've been forgiven. Because we love the one who saved us and who gives us the law. And we know that it reflects him. And then even when we fail, because we will, Break God's law again and again. God's last word to us is mercy because of Christ. And what James has been especially talking about in chapter 2 here is showing mercy to the poor, not overlook them. And if we've received God's mercy in Christ, we'll show mercy. It will be evidence of our faith that we've actually been changed, that we're made more like our Savior. It will show that we've received mercy, that we were among the poor in this world whom God has chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom. 
We show mercy because we've received mercy. And we obey God's law not merely because it's our duty, though it is. And God has the right to command it. Not just because of that, because what else would we do? How could we not want to obey and become like the one who saved us? Why would we not want to live in the freedom that he offers to us? Do we understand what he's done? Do we know him? If we know his love for us, how can we not love him in return? 